Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Previously on the BitCast. That's about it for my discussion of Pokemon Sun and Pokemon Moon. Someday I would like to discuss Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon on the BitCast. And now, the stunning conclusion. Welcome back to the BitCast. Finally, after 21 episodes, I'm finally talking about Pokemon Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. I just kept having other episode ideas, so you know how it goes. Once creativity strikes, you just gotta follow it, you know? But I finally decided to give these games their due time in the limelight for the BitCast. So let's get right to it. Roughly a year after the original Pokemon Sun and Moon, we get Pokemon Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. This follows the formula that the Pokemon games are known for, even though they haven't done it since their fourth generation. They would release two counterpart games, and then a third definitive edition. First was Red and Blue, then the Yellow version. Next was Gold and Silver, then the Crystal version, and so on. Once they got to Generation 5 with Black and White, they stopped doing this, at least until Generation 7 with Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. Unlike the definitive editions of the past games, though, this was another pair of games. So there is no truly definitive edition of Sun and Moon. It's either Ultra Sun or Ultra Moon. You have to choose. This is a decision that I don't quite understand. I know Game Freak has a history of doing this with the Pokemon series, but not to this extent, and they haven't even done definitive editions since Platinum in 2008. Now, these definitive editions of the game are known for adding content, and Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon are no different. There's a new feature in this game called the Battle Agency, which lets you rent a team of three Pokemon for online battling, and these Pokemon are sort of random. You don't really get to pick them. They're just supplied to you, and they could be any Pokemon ever, at least to my understanding of it. To match the Hawaiian aesthetic of the game, you can now play a surfing minigame. The annoying Zygarde cell search that was in the original games is now replaced with the more reasonable totem sticker search. There are more and different Pokemon to catch, there are little quality-of-life things that were changed to make the game much easier here and there, and there were some storyline changes. From a gameplay standpoint, Ultra Sun and Moon are about the same as the original Sun and Moon, if not better. But in terms of storyline, I think Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon kind of fumbled it, and the story was one of my favorite parts of the original Sun and Moon, so... These games burned me a little bit. I should say that I don't think the revised storyline in the Ultra games is bad, and that there aren't any good moments that they added or changed, but by and large, I was let down compared to the original storyline. So I'm going to go over that a bit, and that will entail some spoilers, so there's your warning. In both games, you control a child who moves to the Alola region, which is the Pokemon world's equivalent of Hawaii. You end up participating in a yearly tradition known as the Island Challenge with your new friend, Hao. The two of you and your Pokemon 
go to all the different islands in the region to complete the trials hosted by trial captains and prove your strength to the kahuna on every island. And as of this year, the battle on Alola's highest mountain will determine the region's first champion at the end of the island challenge. Now that's pretty simple and straightforward. Not much of a story, but it's more about the experience of traveling around Alola, taking in the sights and the culture, all that sort of stuff. And it's very lovely. You do have some roadblocks along the way, like these thugs, Team Skull. And then there's Lily. You and Hal make friends with a girl named Lily, and she has a mysterious Pokemon called Cosmog, though she nicknamed it Nebby. She and Nebby join the two of you on your adventure because she wants to help Nebby in whatever it is Nebby's trying to find. But Lily's mom, Lusamine, who is the boss of the Ether Foundation, which is a sanctuary for abused Pokemon, she has other plans for Nebby. She wants to take Nebby away from Lily and use it to open up a wormhole and summon these monsters called Ultra Beasts so that she can keep them as pets and kind of smother love them. Lily's mother has a claim to being one of the more frightening villains in the core Pokemon franchise, even if her goals aren't as catastrophic as, say, Cyrus from the fourth generation. Lily really flourishes over the course of the game. She starts out as too timid to help Nebby when a bunch of low-level bird Pokemon are picking on it, but by the end of the game, she's following you through one of the more dangerous parts of the final island, even going as far as to reprimand her mother for being so emotionally abusive and for the way she treated Nebby. There's also a big deal over the fact that Cosmog, still Nebby, evolves into either Solgaleo or Lunala, the lion and bat on the covers of Sun and Moon, respectively. So Nebby was secretly the mascot of the game all along. That's pretty cool, and you help Nebby to achieve this form, and then Nebby helps you take Lusamine down and bring her back home so she can come to her senses, because there's some, you know, things going on with her brain because of the Ultra Beasts. And after the day is saved, in a very touching moment, Nebby decides that it wants to stay with you from now on, so there's a you know, a scene with Lily where she says goodbye and everything. It's all very nice. It's one of the last things that happens before your climb up to the top of the mountain to become the champion, the end of your journey. It's just a really memorable and striking sequence of events. At least, that's how things went in the original Sun and Moon. In Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, there are some changes. Most unfortunately, they downsized a lot of Lily and Nebby's screen time. This might come across as a nitpick, but one of my favorite scenes was when you, Hal, Lily, and the Professor all ride the Professor's boat from the first island to the second one. It's the true beginning of your journey, and you're all here together as it happens. In this version, they replaced it with a surfing minigame. And you're by yourself for that. How is also surfing, but he's not there during the minigame. It's just you. So that entire scene was axed, and I was kind of disappointed with that. They also toned Lusamine down considerably. She's much less villainous in this version of the game, which is alright on its own, but it has the effect of taking away a lot of the impact of Lily's character arc. 
Then they added new characters, the Ultra Recon Squad. They deal with wormholes and ultra beasts and the like, but they don't really add anything of value. They're forcibly wedged into the storyline in scenes that didn't really need them at all. All their contributions to the plot could have been handled by Lusamine, or maybe even Nanu, a kahuna with a history against the Ultra Beasts. All they really do is challenge you to a few boss battles that weren't in the original game, and three out of four of these battles are against the same singular Pokemon, Poipole. Now, the Ultra Recon Squad aren't villains. No. The real villain of this story is a legendary Pokemon named Necrozma. It travels across dimensions to Alola to steal the light from the region, and then assume its complete form. I appreciate the first attempt at making a Pokemon the antagonist instead of another human, but this story is ultimately weaker than the original struggle against Lusamine. There were there were stakes involved with Lily and Gladion's attachment to Lusamine, and the stakes with Nebi. Oh, speaking of Nebi, their role is really downplayed in Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. Instead of being one of your final saving graces after spending the entire story as a victim, now Nebi continues to be a victim. After evolving into Solgaleo or Lunala, Necrozma takes control of Nebi for the duration of the climax. In addition to all the suffering Nebi goes through, they are now a puppet for Necrozma. And then you don't even get that touching moment where Nebi decides to pal around with you. No, Nebi and Lily disappear until the game's conclusion, and after everything in the story ends, you you just optionally catch Nebi out in the sticks on the first island. Lily will be there, and they'll try to make it look like it's a big deal like it was in the original games, but it just doesn't have any of the impact because, you know, Nebi didn't do as much, Lily didn't do as much, this isn't even part of the story, it's just an optional scene, it's just... Uh, I almost felt a little bit offended. In more recent Pokemon generations, the Pokemon games have a habit to include a post-story plot after the credits roll. In Sun and Moon, you had to round up the last few Ultra Beasts, and in doing so, you learn more about the nature of the Ultra Beasts and the history of the Kahuna Nanu, and some other recurring characters of the series like Looker and Annabelle. It's not spectacular, but I liked it, and this is all replaced in Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon with the Rainbow Rocket episode. In that, Team Rocket is back from the original game, but the leader, Giovanni, somehow gained the ability to cross dimensions, and now he's working with the gang bosses from all the other games, and you have to beat them all. Okay, this is actually a fun sequence. I like it. But I wish we could have had it and the Ultra Beast stuff. As it is, the Ultra Beasts are largely pushed to the side. A lot of the story elements were gutted. Though, not only did I like the Rainbow Rocket stuff, I think Hal was better utilized as a character in the Ultra games. They give him a bit more of a character arc, while not changing too much about when he shows up in the story. He's your rival and friend for most of the game, but he doesn't really do anything, and his team isn't really that tough. In the Ultra games, they decide to put more emphasis on how he needs to take the challenge a little more seriously, even though he can still have fun, and they give him some more Pokemon to make his team a little tougher. 
they even go as far as to make him the final boss as opposed to the previous game's final boss. So yeah, how actually picked up the slack where Lily got the short end of the stick. And Team Skull, I love them just as much as I did in the original games. They actually got out pretty unscathed. They also added an eighth trial in these games, and while I think the trial itself is a little bloated in that, you know, it goes on for too long, I do like that it sort of acts as a summary of the journey you've taken to this point. The entire ending sequence of the game was a little less conclusive than I'd like it to be, because there was a lot that I liked in the first game's ending, but it is mercifully shorter as a result, which I think is ultimately for the best, even if it's a little less fluff than I'd like. A lot of these things I'm saying are in the realm of cool, but at a price, so maybe I should just talk about some outright improvements. Going back to the quality of life stuff I mentioned earlier, the Zygarde cells, I said that they were very annoying to collect in the original games because they were only available at certain spots in the game at certain times of day, so you really just had to time everything just right. Meanwhile, the stickers are always available, so they're much simpler to track down. And the reward for the stickers is much better. The Zygarde cells would upgrade the Pokemon in your party named Zygarde, while every 10 to 20 stickers would give you a giant Pokemon. The Rotom Dex feature, which was marketed for Sun and Moon before being underutilized, is given a bit more to do in the Ultra games. Every so often, it'll actually give you boosts, such as earning more money from battles, getting discounts at stores, hatching Pokemon eggs more quickly. These are things that I actually used. They were helpful to me. And even if the Ultra Beasts were sidelined, the game's use of dimension hopping is a lot more fleshed out. They also make it so that the wild Pokemon are less likely to call for backup, which makes it easier to deal with them, and much quicker for you to determine whether their backup is going to be that rare Pokemon that you've been looking for. So Pokemon Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon are mechanically improved, but the storyline and a few of the characters suffer in the meantime. I've already said this, but now you should see where I'm coming from. I can't confidently call Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon bad games. Disappointing? Maybe. And I might still recommend the originals even more, but there are good things to experience in the Ultra games, and I don't entirely regret picking up Ultra Moon. Normally this is where I would do today's favorite songs, but in Pokemon Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, the soundtracks are more or less the same. They did add new songs for the new circumstances, but they didn't leave as much of an impact on me, except maybe the final battle theme with Ultra Necrozma. That was pretty wild. Sounds like something out of a regular RPG. I will draw attention to the fact that they remixed the wild Pokemon battle theme and the regular trainer battle theme. I caught that right away. The wild Pokemon battle theme actually sounds more intense now. Oh, and I could mention that when you confront Giovanni at the end of the Rainbow Rocket episode, he gets his own battle theme, which is something he didn't even have back when he was the villain of the original Red and Blue. So there's that. Good soundtrack, but my favorites are the ones that I've already heard in the original Sun and Moon. What's next for Pokemon, then? They say that this may be the last Pokemon game to be truly handheld exclusive, what with the Switch being Nintendo's future, 
Game Freak director Shigeru Omori stated in an interview that each Pokemon game for the 3DS was designed to push the system to its limits and that they felt that the Ultra games have finally hit that mark. In addition, there was an announcement at E3 last year that there was going to be a core Pokemon game announced for Switch at some point. Until now, all the core Pokemon games have been handheld all the way back to the Game Boy, so for them to make the jump to a home console like the Switch, since it's technically home and handheld, this is a pretty big step forward for the Pokemon series, if I'm not misinterpreting anything. And Pokemon games sell. So if the Switch wasn't already Nintendo's new golden goose, Pokemon will certainly make it one. I do wish that in their final outing for the 3DS, the game would have been a bit more akin to the original Sun and Moon, but I'm still excited to see where the series goes next. If you want to stay up to date with me on this kind of thing, then you can consider subscribing to the BitCast, because surely I'll talk about Pokemon more in the future, as well as other Nintendo games and whatever non-Nintendo games I get my hands on. You can also find the BitCast on iTunes, so spread the word if you know someone who likes to listen to people ramble about Pokemon. I've been the Axeman, and I will see you on the next one. Listen to BitCast anytime on podcast1.com and on the Podcast One app.